Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now, you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Okay, welcome to Twig 188. Uh, this week we are covering surviving the mobile marketing winner. Um, I'm covering um, basically the the new Riot and Microsoft deal. Um, and Ethan, you are covering, what yep. is it, Netflix? Mobile titles have reached 13 million downloads worldwide. Um, so I think that's kind of the big updates. But in terms of life, I don't know, how are you guys dealing with the heat these brutal, days? Brutal, man. It's brutal in Texas. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, this is unprecedented. I think this is like historic. It's been over 100 pretty much every day with a couple exceptions for since late May. And I don't remember it ever being that hot ever, like growing up. And I, I grew up in Houston, which is hotter than Austin. And it, it's just unbelievably hot. Like, I guess we're getting like an El Nino or a La, La Nina uh, weather system this year, which uh, when paired with a drought uh, produces like extreme temperatures. But what I've heard is that like it, we might get a wetter season towards the end of the summer, so it might like be cooler. I don't know. We'll see. But it's just it's been unprecedentedly hot. 
It, what do you do when it's like above 100? Do you just stay inside? Yeah, and you never can't go, go outside. Now, from like three to six, it's it's almost impossible to be outside. I have a I have a pool at, at my office, so like I've been going to the pool like every day. We've been like, what I'll do is like I'll hang out, you know, work, go pick up my son, and then we'll come to the pool because otherwise he's just stuck inside. He can't go outside and like run around. And I, I don't know. I, I keep <laughs> I make like false equivalency to Canadian winter during these like hundred degree yeah. summers in <laughs> Southern United States where you're like, you just right. don't do anything. Right. It's just so terrible outside. So you just end up hanging out yeah. outside all the it, time. And our AC but, broke yesterday. So like two days ago, you're going to back <laughs> on this. Oh, podcast? You, you can't, you'd have to go get a, you'd have to go get a, a hotel. I mean, you can't sleep at night um, when your AC is broken in the summer, but like, it was just this feeling of dread that I had, you know, like, cause it, it had been just, it had been, it had been operating, but just like very ineffectively. So like it was only keeping the house like 77. I was like, okay, something's broken, but this is livable. Mm-hmm. I'll call the, I'll call the repair person. It's, it's not a, it's not an urgent thing. And then we woke up the next morning and it was like 80 and, I, and it was, the AC was just like, it was just like, you know, quiet, right? Like it was not even functioning. And I was like, oh my God, this, this is a nightmare. And so we, luckily our neighbor was getting their AC serviced that day. Like they had a repair uh, man lined up to come. I mean, it was just like, uh, you know, such a lucky coincidence, but we got him to come over after and it was just like some part that had just exploded or something trying to keep the house cool in this heat. It's impossible. Yeah. Wow. How lucky is that? Like, what do you do though? Like your AC bus, like you just no, you can't, can't live in and, your house. Right? Well, you have to, you have to go feel the Hamptonality. That's yeah. only well, we, <laughs> I would probably would have moved into our, my office for like a couple of days, but I was looking at you know, the schedules for these repair services. And like, they were booked out through like next week. And so like, you're just, you're exiled from your home. You become like a refugee. Like you can't be there. Uh, not to make light of, you know, the, the hard hardships that refugee, that like real <laughs> people, people who actually yeah. go refugees. Yeah. I take that back. We were not like refugees that our, our, our hardship was nowhere near uh, what, what refugees have to uh, endure. But nonetheless, it was very uncomfortable. Uh, but anyway, we got it fixed and it was like working like within an hour. So that was a nice uh, serendipitous uh, outcome. But uh, yeah, no, you just have to go to, go to a hotel. You can't possibly live in your house if there's no AC during the summer. And like when it gets really hot here in Canada, we just go to our cottage, like on the lake, right? Do you guys have anything like that in Texas? Like, is there a place you can go to that's cool? Well, it's not cool per se but we have a place like an, an hour south of here that's on a river and we go there pretty much every weekend during the summer so you know you'll float on the river and it's got a pool and stuff it's not a it's a it's like a condo um so pro- we could have we would have either gone there or to my office but yeah not but that's not like a common thing like people in the u.s it's not like common it, i know like in canada like almost everyone has like a lake house finland is the same sweden is the same everyone has a lake house um but no that's not a common thing in the u.s you just suffer through. Oh, all right, you just suffer Let's, through the summer, man. You, just you, wear, un, you wear Under Armour <laughs> and you start drinking at like three p.m. That's what you do, uh, and you go to the pool or the lake. Luckily, like Austin has like one of the biggest urban lakes in the country, so you just go to the lake. Like you just hang out at the lake and you're in water, you know, to 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 the maximum possible extent. But yeah, it's, it's not easy to to live through. All right, let's get into the actual <laughs> news. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, I forgot one big piece of news last week uh, when we were coming down with the the Xbox news. Um, so Riot uh, made a deal with Microsoft and is joining Game Pass. 
Um, they're going to be offering the characters for League of Legends, Valorant, Wild Rift, uh, I think Teamfight Tactics, all for free for players within Game Pass. Um, I'm assuming that they're still going to be using the Riot launcher on PC. Um, and maybe just the Game Pass store is like a link to the launcher or something like this. That's not really clear, but for, for now, like Riot also doesn't really have much presence on Xbox consoles. So I'm assuming this is mainly for PC. Uh, but I, of course, I'm just going to speculate that Valorant and Wild Rift eventually should make it to consoles and then hopefully with leverage uh, Xbox and Game Pass. Um, overall, my opinion on this is it's a win-win really for both Microsoft and for Riot, uh, a good deal to strike. Uh, Riot gets a nice paycheck, probably. Um, hopefully get a whole bunch of new players coming in through PC Game Pass. And really, like, they're not giving a whole ton away. Like, characters in these games typically don't drive that much revenue. Um, they're making like a little bit of this from like upfront new player conversion and retention for those new players. But typically the way that these games work, like MOBAs and, and kind of character driven games like this, the core player bases, their whole currency is inflated after a few weeks and they end up just being able to earn these characters for, for pretty much free. Um, so mostly these characters end up actually being more like a gateway drug for spending on cosmetics. Basically like a new character drops, players want to be able to customize that new character, buy a bunch of new characters, uh, cosmetics for that new character. Um, so good for Riot then for leveraging that upfront value of these characters for Game Pass players. Um, on the flip side, then Microsoft gets a whole bunch of live services and their value into Game Pass, which is great. Um, so hopefully drives some of their Game Pass players to stick to these services and then kind of get used to having those free characters um, and thus sticking to Game Pass. Um, so I'm expecting more deals like this in the future, which I would say is closer to an Amazon Prime, that the sub isn't just a content sub, but they take advantage of, say, existing scaled free-to-play services um, and just offer kind of value for Game Pass players um, to kind of get hooked on those services. What do you guys think? Uh, seems like a weird strategy. I don't know. Does this seem smart to you? I, I don't. I don't understand why you'd want to do that. Wouldn't you want to control this yourself? Wouldn't you want to control what? just the distribution and the? I don't know. Like it, this feels like a weird. This feels like a capitulation. Why, why do you think it's win-win for Riot? So Riot gets a paycheck, gets a whole bunch of new players coming in through PC Game Pass, and aren't giving away a whole ton of revenue. I'm assuming they're still directing players through yeah. the PC launcher. But you think um, you think this sure. is just them monetizing people that were low value in the first place? Because like Game Pass users are they're tourists, right? I mean, that's the whole idea of Game Pass. And like, are they going to spend a whole lot of like this? Doesn't feel like it's exposing the game to like a lot of high value users, it probably brings in a lot of just, you know, quick experimenters. And I don't know that it's like super meaningful to the player base. And like the the esports strategy is like the real driving economic engine behind League of Legends, right? So like I don't I'm just it just it just feels weird to like like going to going to Game Pass feels like when you take your your premium brand and start selling it at Walmart. Right? Or am I wrong about that? <laughs> uh, so I think you're right that the uh, quality of players that are going to be coming from Game Pass are not going to be the same um, as those early cohorts. But these services are pretty old, at least for like League of Legends, right? Valorant, much newer, but still 
I'm not expecting high quality players from this segment, but these are players that they wouldn't be getting. No, no, I agree. I'm not, I'm not talking about this from like a player acquisition standpoint, but I'm talking about it more from like a brand dilution standpoint. Like, isn't the East, the esports, uh, uh, like I, my sense is like League of Legends is, is basically like an esports e- franchise with an underlying game that is, uh, default, right? And like it is defaulted for play, right? And so if you think about the value of that and what drives people, to spend money in League of Legends and to aspire to compete in League of Legends and to attend the League of Legends events, it seems like this kind of elite uh, arena, right, for for very competitive gameplay. And if you bring in just a bunch of people that are probably not going to get hooked on that, right, they're probably not going to get anchored onto that path, but they're really just going to hang out for a little while, play, and and then churn out really quickly. Um, it feels like you dilute that brand for like the other side of the spectrum, who are like really excited and really invested into the esports aspect of it. So like, again, like, you know, you take your, you know, premium brand and you go to Walmart and it's like, well, the premium, the, you're going to lose that premium audience. And I, maybe even the best example of this, and I'm going way off on a tangent now, but like, I don't know, I'm like a big Omega guy. Like I like Omega watches. And they recently did a collab with Swatch and they released the Moon Swatch. And it was a Swatch watch, but it was branded with Omega. And like all the real Omega maniacs went nuts. And I, I feel like I lost a lot of, uh, you know, sort of my connection to the brand and my loyalty to it when they went that direction. I feel like this is the same kind of thing, but it's even I, more. Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, they've been giving out characters across their games as Amazon Prime loot for months, if not years. So I'm sure they've had plenty of time to see if this sort of giveaway is additive or subtractive to the business. And, and my guess is that. Uh, both with Amazon and with Microsoft, they're getting more revenue from the partnerships per player for this class of player than they would uh, otherwise. So probably from from that way alone of of getting revenue from a platform holder, getting free marketing and free exposure, it, it's probably uh, a value add for Riot. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I'm, I feel like I'm my argument's like a little bit. Indirect, I mean, like, I how does it? If you're a, if you're a high end esports fan and you're watching League of Legends on Twitch every day, how does it take away from your experience for a bunch of noobs you never get matched up in to to join today and and wash out in the next week? Like, it doesn't affect my play experience or my viewing experience. I guess, but it's the. I mean, to me, it's the east. It's the competitive element, right? Like, if I'm a Olympic you know, level tier swimmer and, you know, the Olympics decides to add like an under fives <laughs> event, right? Like, yeah, that, I'm never going to compete against them because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 22, but, uh, you know, I, uh, just, that was a joke, but, uh, like it's still kind of, that's, that still makes me, <laughs> that still fives. makes me feel like I'm not competing <laughs> mm. in, you know, the highest echelon of, you know, sort of like, you know, a- athletic ability, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I feel like, yeah, it's going to add revenue at the bottom end, but what happens at the top end? I, I think leaderboard. I, I, I don't know if it really would have that, that big of an impact. Like, I think the game systems are the way that they are, where those top end players and those esports players are never going to see this bottom base. All, all this is going to do is provide, say, like, chum, like basically like a little bit of players to that kind of early pyramid of rank mode where maybe the the matchmaking has kind of dwindled over time because they just don't have enough new players coming in as they did before but i i don't really see a huge impact to the top of the pyramid no, I, but, no. all right I, okay I I, right. yeah i don't feel that strongly about this let's move on <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> uh ethan you yeah want to uh 
News story uh, from uh, Pocket Gamer, Diablo Immortal has made over $24 million in the first two weeks. And the quote here is, data from AppMagic has revealed Diablo Immortal garnered over 8.5 million downloads in the first two weeks of release, earning developer Blizzard more than $24 million in the process. Um, now, I know I wasn't, I, I wanted to come on, uh, but for scheduling, couldn't come talk about Diablo the day it was uh, released, but I'll... I'll admit that I was wrong on the prediction I made privately even, right? Uh, in our little DOF group, I said, I'm predicting a middling success here. Nowhere near as good as Hearthstone, but decent revenue. People will think it's doing brand damage, but they won't lose any Diablo 4 sales over it. So that was my prediction after playing maybe 20 or 30 minutes of the game. Um, based on playing it more, uh, talking to some of my colleagues about it and uh, this these data points, I think that my initial impression was wrong. I'm willing to go out and predict 100 million or more in revenue for the first 12 months for this game. It's it's done 24, and it hasn't released in China yet, so I almost feel like that's a, a pretty easy prediction. Uh, but my initial impression of this game was certainly wrong. It's already being showing much more success than than I'd imagined on the monetization side. And I think despite all the news stories in enthusiast media um, and on Twitter, uh, similar to many free-to-play games, this is kind of a, a this feels like a vocal minority. Uh, clearly, many players are playing and finding value and fun in Diablo Immortal, spending money. Um, I think it's going to do uh, much better than than I initially had thought. Um, I expect- what was your What was your initial uh, estimate? When, when I, I mean, I, I probably, if I had had to put a number to it, I probably would have said 50 to 70 in the first year. Um, and now I, I'd say pro- over a hundred million in the first year. And just, I think the game's going to have much better retention than I would have guessed from the, the first impression it made to me was like, this is Tai Chi Panda, um, like this is just, just another of any number of AR ARPGs that I can play on the phone and it'll bring in a lot of organics but uh I think they they've got some some blizzard magic once you get further into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um I think it's still early to call kind of like late day retention on this. Um the RPI trend is good. It continues to grow, although a little slow. Um but revenue is, you know, slowly declining. Um, and so far, these are all good signs given the, the download trend, right? Um, Sensor Tower is now predicting above 50% D1 retention and about 22% D7 retention. Um, keep in mind, like, this is a very, very early estimate. So take that with a big grain of salt. Um, and they are predicting like D30 and D60, but the game hasn't been out that long. So obviously, take those with a larger grain of salt. Um, but still like, okay, as golden cohorts settle, maybe that'll come down to kind of the standard mobile thing, maybe a little lower on the D7 side. Um, so I think this is a decent basis, especially if this game is essentially just going to get a whole bunch of organic players and not really worry too much about UA. Right. Um, I think the bigger news this week was that the Chinese launch was delayed indefinitely, right. Um, for mysterious reasons, uh, they claimed it was technical like about streaming assets and downloading assets or something, but there's um, been some call-outs that their social media account referenced a bear, which in China is a big no-no, given uh, Xi Jinping's, again, <laughs> I said that right, 
Xi Jinping's uh, hatred towards the meme of him uh-huh. as Winnie the Pooh. Oh really? Um, yeah. I knew that, not that, the that, that's the real. But I wouldn't have thought just mentioning because I yeah. You were not allowed to say bear. Yeah, I, wow. I that's like um, in in uh, in the Middle East. They don't. You can't really depict pigs in games. We had to do that with Angry Birds too. We had to get rid of all the pigs. For, for, wow, that's like half I know. Game. It's that's a big change. It's not a <laughs> trivial change. Pit. What's what's the pig thing? Pigs in the are just like haram. Or which like, country is it? They're considered unclean, dirty. Uh-huh. That's why they don't eat pork. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but like even as like a evil character, as yeah. a bad guy, you're like, nope. Yeah, we and there was another one where uh, there was some. I think it was in China. They don't. You can't depict ghosts. Uh, yeah, yeah. You have to do supernatural elements. You have to redo your zombies and and ghosts yeah, and vampires right, yeah, and everything yeah. for. There's just like a uh, with different sensitivity to it. Local style. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, anyways, I'm not an expert here, clearly, because I can't even say the president or the <laughs> the leader's name. Um, so I really have no clue about why it's delayed or realistically when it would launch. But of course, when it does, it's, it's going to explode blow around, up. like Wild Rift did. Yeah. yeah. What do you um, think? Just what really all I'm watching now is that long term retention and yeah. live content, right? Like that. That's the part that I've been questioning about just how light their end game is, but their yeah. basis is strong. So excited about NFTs in the metaverse. Ready to be part of the future of gaming? Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. You guys think they're running UA for Diablo? What do you think they're doing on it for, with growth? You think like you think they're they're actually spending money there, or you think they're just sort of like letting the organics kind of percolate up? Uh, um, I, if I were to bet, I think they did a whole bunch of brand yeah. marketing, and they're doing a whole bunch of organics, and then they'll do experiments with UA over time. Um, but this 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 is going to have a bunch of organics yep. just as a baseline. Yeah, I, I I I think the the playbook for, for Blizzard tends to be, as you said, brand marketing to get a big launch event and then um, coast mainly on the organics. So, I yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, this is not a well informed guess, but but I do think that the bigger companies with bigger brands, the Activision, Blizzards, and and EAs and such. Um, probably have games that they could profitably grow with UA tactics and don't, um, you know, choose not to, or don't choose to invest the, the, uh, energy in, in finding out. I mean, just like it, 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 as an example, it seems to me that one should be able to do a profitable need for speed scaling, uh, like it's a great brand with a lot of awareness and we certainly know people spend money on car games. So like you should be able to do that. You should be able to grow a Diablo with UA. And, and I think um, maybe when you've got that packaged goods legacy, it's just harder to buy into it. 
you think there's people there fighting for that, or you think it's just, hey, this is the way we do things. Like, we're we're not gonna change our our sort of like distribution tactics. I'm not sure if I can really comment on it, just because like even just the launch of Diablo, how aggressive they ended up going on monetization, kind of challenges my initial assumption of what Blizzard would operate like. Right? I would have assumed that they would have gone out similar to ArcLight. And, you know, completely messed up monetization and gone way too light, but they didn't hear. So, you know, maybe they're surprising me. Like maybe that I, I think I don't think they're doing it at launch. I think that's all just straight up organics because they already had like 30 million pre-registrations. Right. So it's so my guess would be is that they're going to start turning on UAs and experiment yeah. over time, but they wouldn't. They're still going to do it. But let's let's talk about now how difficult. <laughs> Marketing on yeah. mobile is um, surviving the mobile market yeah. winter. Eric, um, this was a post I published today on Mobile Dev Memo. It's called Surviving the Mobile Marketing Winter. Uh, today, if you're listening, well, today as we're recording this, so Wednesday the 22nd. Um, so I posted this today. Uh, and it's been, it's something, it's a post I've been sitting on um, for a long time. Originally, I had written this as like four separate posts. Um, and I decided to just consolidate all the posts into one because uh, just like serial posts tend to not work that well. And also I have – there's a lot going on right now. I didn't want it to lock up the next four weeks. Anyway, um, kind of just a just a – like a he- the headline uh, of the post is, is, is I think something that most people are sort of you – know, most people listening to this are probably pretty intimately familiar with. It's just that advertising on mobile has gotten – uh, much more challenging. Um, ad spend is is less efficient than it was, uh, and and uh, pretty much every mobile UA team, every mobile marketing team is is, is grappling with that and trying to uh, adapt to this new environment. I, I think there's three reasons for it, right? And I don't blame everything on ATT. I think ATT is is an input to this. It's one of the forces that combines with the other two, but it's not um, you know the sort of exclusive force that's that's creating this friction. So ATT is one piece of it, right? You know we've talked about that a lot. I've talked about that a lot in Mobile Dev Memo. I think most people are familiar with it. So the second is just macroeconomic weakness, right? Um, you know, we saw Snap, they updated guidance. They said, look, the macro factors are are, having, are causing us to to reduce our guidance for Q2 uh, relative to what we had, uh, uh, you know, sort of published in Q1 earnings, right? So that was like a one month uh, uh, lag b- b- between uh, announcing uh, guidance and then having to update it down. Um, so Snap is obviously seeing some macroeconomic weakness that they believe is going to impact their advertising revenues. That probably means that there are advertisers spending less, right? For whatever reason, they, there's less receptiveness to ads from consumers. They're worried about less receptiveness to ads for whatever reason they're, they're pulling back on spend. And then the last is just changing consumer behaviors as social norms revert to pre-COVID patterns, right? So we had basically a global... Uh, you know, a, 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 a global, totally pervasive change in consumer behavior that was prolonged, right? So like a lot of times, you know, you'll see sort of seasonality effects with advertising, with marketing um, that you understand to be seasonal, right? So like you know, usually there's a, a a big jump in app downloads uh, in January, right? Because people get new devices, whatever. That's seasonal. You understand that this is not a permanent change. But with COVID, the change seemed kind of permanent, at least if you were just letting your models do the work, right? Because you had two years of data where engagement was at an elevated level prior to, you know, pre-COVID. And so the models got seeded with all this new data, right? The models weren't uh, interpreting this as like a seasonal 
change, like a sort of short-term seasonal change. They were interpreting this as like the new normal, right? And these models are what, are, are, are what power decisions now, right? And the models need to be fundamentally changed. And so in the, in the, in the article, I kind of walk through like three sort of strategic imperatives that advertisers uh, need to undertake to sort of adapt to this new environment. The first is reestablish measurement baselines. The second is improve ARPU through in-product personalization and strategic cross-promotion. And the third is establish demographic uh, targetable audience segments through qualitative research. For just to, just to be kind of brief here, I want to focus on only the first one. So this reestablish measurement baselines idea, it's really important, right? And I think it's something that a lot of a lot of games teams, especially, but a lot of you know just general you know marketing teams have ignored or have uh, have put off because it's a difficult task. But you basically have to like burn your models down and reseed them from zero, right? Because again, the models have been trained at this point, or the models have been you know tuned based on a type of consumer behavior that can't be expected to to be to be uh, to be experienced now. Right. It's not COVID anymore. People are not, you know, they're not engaging with their phone 24 seven. They're not stuck inside. There's not a lot of restrictions uh, around. Well, with the heat, know, social though, behavior, some of them are. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you're, still, you're sorry, out and just, about. You're not you're not. Stuck I was just inside. making a callback. Yeah, yeah, call back. Good. good yeah. Um Sorry, good, good, uh, good, good comedic reflex. Uh, yeah. But but nonetheless, like the, the 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 pattern of behavior has changed, and I think because it was so, and the, the kind of point that I make in the piece is because COVID was so prolonged, and because these behavioral change was so uh, pervasive, right? Like it just was assumed as the new normal, and I think what happened is companies staffed up, they beefed up, they changed their marketing mix, they started doing a lot more sort of like. Uh, I call it indirect response marketing. So not brand marketing, but where ad spend where there's an expectation of like a revenue event or some sort of conversion, but it's not necessarily direct with like a link click. They started doing a lot more stuff like podcasts. Um, and also as a result of ATT, this happened. And those were informed by these models of consumer behavior that just no longer hold, right? They're not relevant anymore. And I think just, just reestablishing that measurement baseline, which is like going back to zero, to burning the model down and reseeding it from zero, right? So that it reflects the current reality, which is people are less receptive to ads, they're buying less stuff, right? And they're probably just spending less time on their smartphone. All that stuff, like going through that exercise is totally necessary. And then adapting all the measurement stuff and the attribution stuff to ATT, uh, to all the different privacy changes, like that stuff has to happen in tandem, right? And so it's really hard to do while you, you hold one thing constant. So if we hold the sort of ROAS model constant while we change attribution, that's obviously not going to work. And if we hold attribution constant while we build a totally new ROAS model because consumer behavior has changed, that's not going to work either. You have to do both of those things in tandem. And the only way to do that is to pretty much burn everything down and start from scratch. And that's a hard process, right? But it's, ne it's a necessary one. And I think like it's something that you know a lot of advertisers that I see have been very reluctant to do, but it's just um, it, it's, 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 it's a requirement. And I think like that's 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 one of the points that I sort of make in the article. That's one of the sort of prescriptions that I make is to go through that process because the longer you put it off, the longer you're going to be spending money on this outdated model of consumer behavior. Oh, and I had some data. I brought some data. So I, you know, in doing, uh, you know, in writing the article, I just looked up a lot of install numbers for just big publishers. And I, I, I refer to some of these in the article, but some of these are not in the article, right? So like, if you look at aggregated top six hyper-casual 
game developers, and this is worldwide. So worldwide, iOS and Android. So not just trying to isolate the ATT impact, but worldwide, iOS and Android. Top six hyper casual, casual publishers from June 2021 to May 2022, right? So um, a, a year, right? So June 2021 to May 2022. Top six hyper casual developers saw a 12% decrease in installs year over year, basically. Voodoo saw a almost 30% decrease in installs. And this is all based on Sensor Tower data. So don't, don't yell at me if you believe that these numbers are incorrect. I'm pulling this from Sensor Tower. Zynga saw a 10% decrease in installs. Activision Blizzard saw a 10% decrease in installs. Niantic saw a 20% decrease in installs. Jam City saw a, almost a one-third decrease in installs. Playrix uh, was, was more or less flat, slightly down. Uh, and EA was up, but if you back out... Um, uh, I want to say Axie, but I know I'm wrong. It's not. Clue. It's uh, Clue it's the new game they launched. No, the, uh, where's my sensor tower? Apex Legends. Apex Legends. Uh, you 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 ignore yes. Apex. If you Legends if you back out Apex Legends, which they just launched, then they're like basically flat or to slightly down. So you know all of these mobile gaming publishers are seeing pretty substantial. Well, not not all of them, but like many of them are seeing pretty substantial you know decreases in installs year over year. Now again. Some of that's ATT, some of that's macro economy, some of that's COVID overhang. And I, it doesn't make, it, it's not really important, you know, to sort of assign pain to each any individual of those effects because they're all three in combination cre- creating a really challenging environment for mobile marketing teams. So um, like my biggest takeaway here is, is that reseeding of the model, right? Needing to burn down all of the, all of your curves, all of your multipliers, all of your assumptions any of your heuristics that your models created, right? Based on the current engagement from from players. So uh, the biggest, I'm assuming the biggest friction point for any team to do that is time, right? Like in some cases you've got game publishers that are launching games imminently or have just launched and they don't have time to refuel all of those models to get to a point where they can, you know, actually forecast accurately. So what do you do as that team? Is there shortcuts that you'd be taking to like, are you just kind of doing curve fitting based on the yep. first few days or, or first right. few weeks? Yes. Yes. What, what would so, you do? And, and again, like, you know, maybe being a little bit dramatic, you don't necessarily have to burn everything down, but you need to more heavily weight recent data. Right. Um, but what I recommend in the article is something that I actually recommend, you know, generally as a practice, not, not midstream, not when you've had a game that's been live for X, you know, number of years or whatever, but, but for a new game, new app, whatever, new product, is to take this kind of like ROAS uh, frontier approach where you just try to gather enough data to be confident about day seven, right? And then that's what you spend against. And then, and, then enough, and then once those cohorts mature, you've got enough data to be confident about day 30, right? But given the retention profiles, especially, you know, early stage for a lot of, especially games, you need a lot of data to get, you know, the, the, the further out you go on that frontier, the more data you need to collect, right? The more cohorts you need to have pushed through the funnel, um, for every subsequent data uh, time, like, you know, time marker, because people are returning out and you're not getting a lot of data, a lot of people passing through those points or those waypoints, right? So it's a, what, what would be the challenge of doing this is you take this to the CFO and you say, look, we're not confident in our ad spend. We believe that these users are behaving differently than what our models predict. We need to go to zero. We need to acquire cohorts against like day seven ROAS. And so we're going to cut ad spend by 80%. And revenue is going to drop as a result. The CFO is going to say, you know, that's insane. I can't, you know, I can't condone that. 
like you don't have my approval to do that. That's going to be the challenge. I think it's mm. it's aligning around. And so there, you've got to find some kind of middle way, right? Because you can't, you, again, you can't just sort of like abandon all your revenue for like a six month period while you like retool. You've got to find some way to fix the airplane as it's, you know, crashing uh, in midair. Uh, but, but like, and pro- probably the way you do that is you just weight the more recent data more heavily. And, and then you sort of like adjust the kind of estimates on like day 30, 60, 90 or whatever. Um, and that's just like a data science exercise. You can do that, but, but nonetheless, you've got to do it and, and you've got to take attention away from a lot of other stuff in order to do it for most teams, right? They don't have like the slack capacity to just take that project on. It's a big project. Can I ask, um, uh, about point number three of your imperatives? Um, and this might be a, a pretty, uh, novice level question. Like four years ago, if I was, uh, starting a new IP or a new game, um, I would probably make a couple piece of concept art uh, yeah. and come up with some taglines and run CPI tests. Like, let's say I was doing a hero collector and I'm like, well, do I want it to be an anime art style or a 3D modeled or a this or that? I might make some screenshots yeah. and run CPI tests and use that to hone in on the an art style I think I can dig into, a name, some core taglines I can dig into. In In this new world, is that tactic and that is that tool still away it's it sounds like you have to um uh go an extra step if i'm understanding it right of of not just saying we're going to take this art and we're going to test it broadly and let the algorithm find the audience right you you actually have to have a hypothesis like i think people who uh uh read uh, Dragon Ball Z, Shonen Jump, Naruto, whatever. Like, I think those people spend money on mobile games, so I need to uh, prove that this art style and tagline appeals to that demographic. Yes, right. This is this is me actually uh, un- understanding how to adapt properly. Yes, and and so I I I linked to this piece that I wrote like six years ago called "The Power Triad of Resonance for Mobile Games," right? And I, mm-hmm. I I talked about this, and I don't want to go. So I I only wanted to focus on that one thing. I'll just yeah. kind of briefly touch upon that on the third point. Um, cause it's a, it's a long article, right? It's a couple thousand words. Um, so the, the, the idea there was like, you've got basically like three kind of conceptual components to a game, right? You get the mechanic, which is usually <laughs> the first thing you choose. Like I want to make a match three game. Right? Yeah. I want to make a four X, right? You get the game theme, which is kind of, uh, the setting, right? That, uh, that where the game takes place. And, and, and like, I kind of relate that to being like, Hey, we're gonna make a pirate match three game. We're going to make, you know, soft medieval fantasy, uh, you know, game and then you get the tone which is like kind of like the artistic style is gonna be photorealistic it's gonna be cartoony is it gonna be dark whatever um and and those things all have to kind of align in order to be successful right and the idea here is that you know i originally or in the last couple of years right you took that mechanic and you took a you took a couple you know uh at bats right you said like let's wrap it in pirate theme and let's make it dark mm-hmm. and then you just did some cpi tests and like okay that works facebook found us some good users Facebook right. can find us an audience for that. Like that's that's a sellable product. Whereas if you took, you know, uh Mastery Mechanic and you made it like, you know, whatever, uh photorealistic war. It's probably not gonna right. you know, we toss it out there and Facebook didn't find any takers. It couldn't really find people to click on those ads, and so it couldn't find an audience, right? Now you start from that audience uh uh sort of definition perspective. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, I want to go after this group of people. Uh you know, war. War fanatics, right? People that are just like really into like World War II and all that kind of stuff. How do I reach them? And then you work backwards to think about, okay, well, what kind of a product do I build across those three dimensions 
in combination that reaches those people really well, right? And so you start there because I know I can reach them on Facebook, right? Versus like high spenders in match three games, I can't reach them. Like there's, right. no, there's no way I could define an audience that, that encapsulates those people because I don't know what they look like. And they actually so I, don't have that many things in common. I, I as a creator, um, can no longer, or I can't count on the, well, Facebook found a thing. The algorithm found a thing and nobody, we don't need to put a definition into sentences for what that thing is. The algorithm found it. Whereas nowadays, uh, starting a new project or creating new IP, it sounds like I need to put in the thought of who I'm targeting and why, and then test if my concept appeals to those people at a reasonable price, and then uh, have the confidence that my monetization plan will will monetize them properly. Right, and then and then the and then it also becomes so it's not only like because you can you can do that you have the luxury of doing that as a new game, but what do you do about an existing game? And then right. the piece I talk about like how can you how can you take that that sort of exercise, move it to the to the ad creative layer, find stuff that resonates with these big broad audiences, and then hope hope that you don't lose too much conversion when they click through into the game. And and you might have to adapt the game or the pro- and we're talking about games here, but like yeah. the overall product, you have to adapt that to the audiences that you can reach, right? To what's going to resonate with them given that you just lost all of the ability for Facebook to go and like root around and find those truffles for you. Right. You've got to actually, you know, you, you know, I don't want to stick with this truffle pig metaphor, but you've got to find the plot of land that includes the truffles. The pig's not going to go yeah. and find it for you. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's uh, extremely helpful and uh, relevant to me. And I bet to a lot of, a lot of listeners as well. Awesome. Um, let's move into netflix i've got a hard stop in about five minutes so let's see okay. if can get through this i'll go quick. i'll go real quick so uh netflix the the story from games industry was that mobile titles uh as sensor towers predicting or estimating 13 million downloads for netflix's uh title um they've seen so it's thir- they launched in november 2021 20, um at the time they had five titles now they have 24 uh, this includes some games like Moonlighter, Shadow Remastered, Hextech Mayhem, and and some Stranger Things games. Uh, a little over a year ago, I wrote a prediction piece um, on the blog about Netflix's games, and I had four predictions in them. And I just want I thought it would be a good good opportunity to revisit them. Uh, my my number four prediction it was kind of filler. Um, that Netflix wouldn't release player numbers, but thankfully the way they've set things up, uh, cause I thought maybe it would be in app streaming, uh, but they're each a separate app. So we have these predictions and, and, uh, sensor tower. I know it's not evenly distributed, but if it were evenly distributed, it would be about 500,000 downloads per app, which is not terrible. It's not great. I, I also don't know how many of these numbers are true DAU, right? Because you have to download the app, open the app, and have a Netflix subscription. So you could just download it and uh, never never become an actual DAU. Uh, but the more meaty predictions, one was, uh, prediction number three was that there would be a lot more competition for developers than they anticipate. I think I was right here. Uh, 24 apps in six months, you know, you're not banging on the doors of... Uh, Apple Arcade with 24 titles, and and you can see they're doing something where where they're taking previously premium titles, taking them off the store and re-releasing them as Netflix free titles. Like I'm pretty sure Moonlighter was a $10 premium app 
before, and that just feels like a way to build out the content library while you're waiting for the 12 bespoke games that you announced at Netflix Geek Week to be developed. Um, but I do, uh, I'm guessing they thought they would have more titles launched by now. Uh, 24 is not a giant offering. Uh, I predicted mobile players faced a lot of friction, and I was completely wrong. Uh, I've been, as a player, pretty delighted on how easy it is to get into a Netflix game uh, from the Netflix app, how good the discovery is if you use... I mean, the problem is I don't use Netflix on my phone that much. I use it on TV. But when I open it up, I'm like, oh, point, point, point P, or however I'm supposed to pronounce it, and like download it, open it up, play it. Super fun game. It's It's great. Um, so I was wrong on the friction front and on the technology delivery front. And I predicted that their end game here is a subscription price increase and that they were almost destined to succeed based on how little people have reacted to price increases in the past and how sticky the Netflix sub is. And if I think about uh, where Netflix was as a company a year ago versus where they are today, I think cha- things have changed a lot in this prediction um, even if that was the game plan all along, uh, the idea that a one dollar price uh, subscription price increase because games would be successful, I no longer uh, believe that to be true. I think a one dollar price increase because games uh, would actually cause quite a lot of churn. Uh, we're in a much more competitive market for these streaming services. Um, I think it's pretty common for me to, and my wife and other friends to go like, oh, Severance is out on Apple TV. I'll pay $5 this month, subscribe this month, and unsubscribe. There's like more great services and great content than people can handle. And, um, you know, Netflix's 12 games that were announced at Geek Week, like they all see there's ports of premium PC games that I know I'm going to be excited to play for free, essentially on my phone. Uh, there's games in there using uh, um, Money Heist and, and and Queen's Gambit. And I just think there's kind of a mismatch here between the content and the business model and, and what people want on the platform. Um, if the purpose of games is to keep people engaged with their subscription, uh, I think people on mobile want hobbies, and that means live service games. And uh, I don't... Th- I think there's already so many great hobbies like Diablo Immortal or Hearthstone or Mortal Kombat X or any, you know, there's there's so many out there. Uh, uh, Fortnite, Apex Legends, like why would I? N- Netflix really, I think, has to do a lot of work to make a game that would be a hobby that would convince someone who's on the fence to stick with their subscription. And so I I kind of revise my, you know, previously I thought business success is guaranteed, and uh, just because of how sticky the subscription is, and, and now a year later, I think this is, uh, my current prediction is this is not going to be a successful business venture because they're not going to be able to convince people who are going to churn to stick with their subscription because of games. I'd love to talk with the um, <clears throat> the business team and figure out how they're measuring this. Right to actually say like this game's initiative actually is driving value or not, and actually driving churn to be lower because you've got to think like how are they going to be making, how are they going to be justifying increasing spend in this initiative? Um, but like my take, my quick take is like you look at these top games, right? The top of the pack has two million downloads. All the games that that Sensor Tower has retention data for, they're estimating less than thirteen percent D seven retention. So 
from my perspective, none of these things are yeah. really retaining. It ends up in the same situation that Apple Arcade has. That you have a whole bunch of these kind of sinking sand um live service games, right? That in summation don't really make well these these aren't there. even so, live service games. I mean they're they're like linear premium games. Yeah. Well, well some of them are meant right. to be some of them were some of them were, right? right? The like next they, games oh, yeah. games that they're adapting were, but like yeah. I just, I don't get I really don't get the strategy at all. I, I feel like because my sense, you know, the thing I wrote a while back was like, yeah, they're they're probably going to just start going free, you know, pure play, free to play, and build a portfolio and do cross promotion and use that as a funnel into the into the into the 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 temple app. And I just I don't see them doing that now. Like it just feels like they're building up a big content portfolio that's 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 uh, uh, inaccessible unless you have the subscription. And I don't I, I would love to see internal data. Because how much overlap is there? Like, are, how, where, what, what, what's the uptake across the, the, the general user base, right? Because they have these installs. But I would love to see, like, a down number for the game's portfolio, right? Because, like, my sense, these are, like, hyper-casual type games. Like, they're, they're being, a lot of the live op stuff is being stripped out when they buy them. And, like, so I, I don't, I don't, like, and, and I would say the same thing about Apple Arcade, by the way. Like, I don't know how well that manages to uh, drive subscriptions for uh, just the Apple Arcade product. But like on the Netflix side, it's it's even like a more indirect leap because it's like these are two totally separate types of content, um, and I don't know how much engagement bleeds from the Netflix app into these games that is sticky in a way that would say, you know what, uh, I finished everything on Netflix, but you know these games uh, are keeping me hooked, and and I got to keep paying my subscription. I just see like I don't under, unless there's like some some they're going to roll this strategy out in parts, and we'll kind of like understand it later. Um, I don't really see, and they tear it up and they, they add the ad supported, uh, you know, uh, tier in. I don't see where this is going. Agreed. All right. Sorry, guys. I've got a hard stop. So we've got a call twig at this point. All right. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. I don't know. <laughs> see you all next all week. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>